This is Leewood Online, a ministry of Leewood Baptist Church, located in the Kansas City area. For more information about us, visit us online at www.leewoodbaptist.com. Good morning, my name is Linda Keller, and we will be reading, as Chris said, Matthew 3, 13 through 17, 16 through 17 typo error here. It can be found on page 808 in the Pew Bible. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Let's go ahead and start with a, uh, another quick word of prayer. Father, um, we pray that as, as we open up your word today, as, as we see what you have for us, that you open our eyes to see what the fullness of your word has for us, what it says about who you are and what that should mean to us. We just pray that you focus this in today so that we know that you're speaking and nobody else. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So, uh, my name is Stephen Ellison. For those of you who don't know me, I know there's quite a few new people in here. Some of you I've got to meet once or twice, and some of you haven't got to meet at all. So, let me just introduce myself. Uh, I am the pastoral fellow here, which is a term just vague enough to mean that I do a few different things. Probably most famously distributor of fruit snacks. So, um, but we'll also be getting the kids program up and running pretty quickly, and I'm excited about that. And I'm also excited to be able to preach for you this morning. So, like Linda read for us, we're going to be out of Matthew chapter 3 today. We've been in this passage for a few weeks now. We've been talking about this story of the baptism of Jesus, and we've taken a little time to go through it because there's some pretty important things that we see come out of this text, some important subjects that sometimes can raise some questions in our hearts. So, we've talked about things like baptism and repentance What is repentance? And talking about why Jesus would need to be baptized if that's a sign of repentance. And and some things that are a little bit confusing on the surface, but we see have biblical answers to them, and we've explored that. And we're going to be doing something similar today. There's going to be another subject that's going to come out of our text this morning that can cause some confusion, maybe a little intimidation, maybe a little anxiety, but we find has a lot of biblical answer to. So we're going to be talking about the big subject of the Trinity today. So, if you are somebody uh, that is new to church or you don't really have a Christian background, and I say the word Trinity, that may not have uh, much of a meaning to you. So, let me give a definition really quickly of of what I mean when I say that. Uh, The belief in the Trinity is our belief that God exists eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that each of these persons is fully and totally God, and that there is only one God, which is super self-explanatory and easy to understand, right? 
So if you are new to church and you are exploring Christ and, and Christianity and, you know, I said the word Trinity a second ago and you saw somebody kind of jump in their pew, it's probably because it's somebody that's been a Christian for a long time and realizes that this is a subject that even people who are advanced in the faith, even people who have been walking with Jesus for a long time, feel a little bit of intimidation by this. If you ask somebody that's been a Christian for 20, 30, 40 years what the Trinity is, a lot of times you'll probably get somebody that gives you a 20-second conversation that's kind of awkward and ends with, well, we don't really know. Uh, let, me, let me acknowledge a couple of things as we begin this conversation. One, the Trinity is a mystery, right? That there are things about God being three persons and one being that aren't going to make sense to us. And that makes sense that it doesn't make sense to us, right? The fact that we worship an infinite God and we are finite people, not everything about him is something that we'll be able to understand totally. That is something that we should acknowledge and we should be humble about that, and that's okay. We can embrace that. But the danger also is if we go to that too quickly and we say, well, this is what the Trinity is. It's God in three persons, and it's one God, and and we don't really have to talk any more about it than that. We can kind of use that as a cop-out to not explore all that the Bible says about who God is. Because while parts of this are a mystery, the Bible actually has a lot to say about who God is and how he is in three persons and one being. And we can explore that and we can study that. So I know that it can be intimidating. And just like when you begin to study anything new, we can start to feel a little pressure and we can start to feel a little overwhelmed. And that's okay What we're going to be going through today is we're going to be talking about the Trinity, what it is really simply, and we're going to be going through Scripture to prove that it's there. So hopefully that we see that this is something that we can study, and it's worth our time to study. It's to our benefit to know who God is. Uh, We're going to be bouncing around from text to text. We're going to start in Matthew, uh, because that's where we see it, and that's the, the series that we're going through. But we're going to be moving around quite a bit. I think for a lot of us, we would like for the Bible to kind of give us these like cookbook answers, right? When we come to teachings, we're like, oh, I want, I want to know what makes up a trinity. If I turn to page 48, here's all the ingredients to it. And we would like the Bible to be something like that where we can find all the answers, all the answers to that one subject on one page. But that's not how God has chosen to reveal it to us. God has used the entire breadth of Scripture. He, he's used this entire book written over centuries to give us little brushstrokes, little bits at a time to tell us who he is. And, and little bit by little bit, author by author, century by century, these brushstrokes get added to this canvas. And when we look at the Bible as a whole, we find this beautiful painting of who God is. And the word Trinity is not a word that we're going to find in our Bible. It's kind of the title that we throw onto that painting of who God is. But it's one that accurately describes what we find in Scripture. So this is a big subject. We're going to be talking about a lot here. It's going to feel intimidating and it's going to feel difficult. But let me just encourage you. The goal here today is not that you understand everything about the Trinity. The goal is that you understand basically what the Bible says about it. And that this is a subject that we can approach and we can study. And that God's Word has a lot to say about. So as we move around from passage to passage... Feel free to try to flip with me and keep up with me. We're going to be moving around a lot, but you don't have to do that. Uh, Just listening to God's Word being read does count. Uh, So we can feel freedom to flip and find it and read it along in our Word. That's a good thing. But also as we're moving pretty quickly, I think it's more important that we listen and that we hear what God says through His Word about Him rather than, you know, maybe if we're distracted by what else we're doing, we won't hear as much out of it. So let's go ahead and start again with Matthew 3. 
Linda read for us that whole section, which Linda, I'm the one that printed that out for you, so that was why that was off. I'm sorry about that. But I want us to read that whole section so that we kind of get the context of what's going on here, right? As Jesus comes to be baptized, here's what we see in Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to pick back up again in verse 13. It says, And then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus answered him, let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So Matthew gives us this image of the baptism of Jesus Uh, And he paints a really good picture for us as Jesus is coming out of the water. We see that the heavens are opening up. The Spirit of God is descending like a dove on him. And this voice from the heavens says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Right here we see this idea of the Trinity, right? We see all three persons. We see God the Father. We see the Holy Spirit. And we see Jesus coming up out of the water. We see all three persons there together. And it's kind of a strange passage in a sense to kind of see this just happen so quickly over the course of two verses. And I think a good practice for us is when we come to passages like this to ask, why do we think Matthew is telling us this? Specifically, why do we think Matthew is telling us this so early in his gospel? We're only three chapters in, and he's painting this picture for us. And I think one reason is that Matthew wants us to see that Jesus, that that this guy that we're going to be following throughout the rest of his book, throughout the rest of this narrative, this isn't a guy like any other This isn't a good man. This isn't just a prophet. This isn't just somebody who came and did a lot of good things. This is somebody set apart. And how do we know that? Because we can see that the company that he's in is set apart. It's Jesus mentioned alongside of God the Father. We know it's the Father because he's talking about his Son, right? And we see the Holy Spirit. And this is the grouping that Jesus is gathered into. This is the the, the group that Jesus is unified with, God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And we can see that, that Jesus... It's the only one that can really be grouped into that. As many great characters as there are throughout the Bible, nobody else would fit into that category. That there's something different here about these three together in unity. That's where we see the Trinity. But if we're saying that we see the Trinity in this passage, uh, we need to back up what we say the Trinity is, right? And we need to be able to find that in the Bible. So this is where we're going to start flipping just a little bit. Um, But I want us to see a few key and basic things that the Bible teaches about who God is. First thing that we're going to see is the Bible says that God the Father is God, that the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. So let's start with the Father. In Ephesians 1, 1 and 2, Paul talks about God as a lot of the Bible does. It, It mentions God as the Father, right? And that's the language that we see quite a bit. In Ephesians 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul opens his letter to the Ephesians this way. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So I think for most of us, when we think about God, kind of abstractly, right? When we think about God, we think of the Father, I think that's who our minds go to first. And that's, I don't think that's a wrong way to do it. We're going to see today that, that God is more than just one person. That God is, God the Father is totally God. He is fully God. But we're going to see that it gets a little bit more complicated than that too. But it's not wrong for us to speak of the Father as God. Because Scripture does so throughoutly. It does so here when it's all, it says, we, we, 
grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So I, I don't think that we need to spend an exhaustive amount of time on this point. I think that we, we can see this here and we can see it all throughout Scripture where the Father is referred to as God. Where I would like to spend a little bit more time is talking about the fact that the Bible over and over talks about Jesus Christ as God. One of the best places that we can see that is in John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And if you skip to verse 14, and it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So first off, we know that John, uh, if you've ever read the Gospel of John, John can word things kind of strangely. So he's talking about the Word, and who is the Word, right? Verse 14 says that the Word... Uh, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father. So here we see the Word is Jesus, right? And John tells us a couple of things that are, are really important right off the bat, that both the Word is God, right? He, he's not mincing words that Jesus Christ is God in himself, but it also says that the Word was with God. If we play with the words, we can almost kind of say that John is saying, and God was with God. So the important things that we see here is, is that Jesus is God, but Jesus is also with one who is, in, who is God. He's, he's beside one who is God. He is in relation to one who is God. So, so Jesus is totally God. It's not that he's one-third God or kind of God or a little bit of God or a piece of God. He is God, but he's also with one who's called God. John goes on to talk about how we can see Jesus' godness in creation, right? It says that, that, that uh, the Word was with God and was God, and He was in the beginning with, uh, with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ is God, and He always has been. Always has been, even before the world was created. And we know that because Jesus was, was who the world was created through. So we see that He is God, He's with God, and He's been eternally God, right? So we see that... Um, Actually, this idea of Jesus being a part of the creation process, that's something that the Bible talks about quite a bit, actually, when it's talking about Jesus being God. So we see the same thing in Hebrews chapter 1. I think it's kind of interesting that all these are like the start of these books, right? We've read Ephesians 1, John 1, now we're in Hebrews 1, how foundational it is to a lot of these authors to let us know who God is. So Hebrews 1 says, Long ago, and at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much superior to angels, as the name that he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. For which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? And then I'll skip down to verse 8. And in verse 8 it says, But of the son, he says, he being God, But of the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. That's a dense section. 
And again, I'm trying, I'm trying to like ride this balance with you guys to saying like, listen, we can, we can study this and we can approach it, but I also understand that we're going through some like heavy passages pretty quickly. So we can't break down all of this, but there's a few things that I do want us just to see that the Bible's obviously saying, right? So we see that, again, the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, by the way, this Jesus, this isn't a man that was just born not long ago. This is the Jesus. This is God who was there in creation who's always been there eternally, who the world was created through. And it also says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This isn't just some guy. This isn't just some really good guy. This isn't just some really good teacher or some prophet. This is an eternal God. He goes on to say um, that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Sometimes when we talk about Trinity, we'll use uh, this phraseology that's like three persons in one essence, three persons in one being, three persons in one nature. And if we're wondering where we kind of get some of that vocabulary, we can kind of see it here, right? So it says that he is the exact imprint of his nature, that Jesus is of the same nature of God, of the same stuff, right? He is of the same being, that Jesus is made of that, right? And I think even more strikingly, if we go to verse 8, the author starts to quote from the Psalms, and he says that God says, but of his son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. That's important because the author is saying, hey, you can go look in the scripture and see that even there, God calls Jesus God. But even more impressively, he's quoting from the Old Testament, right? He's quoting from the Psalms. This is from Psalm 45 that this quote that the author's pulling out of. So he's saying, hey, even before Jesus walked on this earth, God is calling Jesus God. When we look at at this idea of who God is, we kind of talked about this earlier, that God has kind of revealed who he is in Scripture over time. A little bit, brushstroke by brushstroke. So by the time that we have all of Scripture, we can see this, this beautiful picture that's painted. And so what we get in the Old Testament is that we get some of these brushstrokes, but it's not completed. It's not that the Old Testament is wrong. It's not that it's incorrect. It's that it's given us a little bit at a time. And some of these things aren't really even understandable until Jesus comes. There, there's an idea of which it's got this, this meaning for the time, but there's something deeper there that, the, that the, New Te- the Old Testament writers are leaving to tell us who Jesus would be. I saw one author kind of say that the Old Testament's kind of like a room that's really well decorated with really low lighting. That all the, the furniture's there and the paintings are there and the carpet's there, but you're not really going to see all that's going on in the room till the light shines through. And for the Old Testament, that light is Jesus. We can see all these things about who God is in light of Jesus. So we see that, that the Bible clearly states that Jesus is God, and it does the same thing for the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11, uh, Paul kind of sums up what the Holy Spirit does in this way. He says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except for the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except for the Spirit of God. So Paul kind of draws out this illustration like, who, who really knows you? Like you have people that you talk to, right? Like, like you, may have a, you may be extremely close with your spouse and feel like you share everything with them or a friend or a, a sibling that you feel like you share everything with. But the only person that really knows every single thing that goes through your head is you. In the same way, the Spirit's, one of the Spirit's jobs is to make known to us what God wants us to know about him. 
That's one of his jobs. And the only way that he can do that, the only way that he can make known the deepest things of God is if he knows all that there is to know about God. And no one knows all that there is to know about God except for God himself. So it's kind of the circular thing, right? If he knows all that there is to know about God, he must be God. Similarly, we see some, something uh, like that one chapter later in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians three sixteen and 17, uh, Paul is kind of rebuking some of these people in Corinth for, for some of their pridefulness, some of their sinfulness, and he says this, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells within you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So it's kind of this, this circular argument again, right? So it's the Holy Spirit lives in you. Therefore, you are God's temple. If you are God's temple, that means God lives in you. So God living in you and the Holy Spirit living in you are the same thing. Does that make sense? That, that the Holy Spirit is God. We can see that the Holy Spirit living in us is the same thing as God living in us. So the Bible shows us that these, these three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are all God. That's the first thing that we need to see. Some of that could have been confusing and feel a little overwhelming as we're we're flipping through. But again, the key thing that we understand here is that the Bible overwhelmingly says that these three are all fully and totally God. Secondly, secondly, we need to see that while each person is fully and totally God, they're distinct persons. And, And when I say that, I mean to say that Jesus is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. The Father is not Jesus. That all three of these are distinct. All three of these are different persons. I think part of the problem that we have when we start talking about the Trinity is that we want to draw illustrations about what the Trinity's like. And so we'll say things like, well, the, the, the Trinity is like a man who is a father and a husband and an employer all in one. And the problem with that is it kind of paints this picture of a God who when God wants to do fatherly things, he puts on his father mask. Or when he wants to do Jesus-y things, he puts on his Jesus mask. Or when he wants to do spirity things, he puts on his spirit mask. But that's not the picture that, that the Bible paints. And we can see that in our Matthew passage, right? We can see that all three persons in Matthew 3 are active in that scene. They're all there. But they're all doing different things, right? It's not the spirit that's being baptized. It's Jesus. And it's not Jesus that has this booming voice from heaven that's talking about the Son because that wouldn't make any sense, right? It's the Father doing that. All three of them are in that passage and they're all doing different things. They all are, are individual persons with, but being one God. All right, so another place that we can see this is John sixteen seven through 11. Jesus uh, is, is talking to his disciples Before he goes to the cross, the disciples are obviously distraught because they're about to lose Jesus. And this is how Jesus kind of comforts them. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So we see that Jesus, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit as one who's going to come after he leaves. Once he goes to the Father. And we could talk about all the movements there, but, but I think the, the essential thing to see is that Jesus isn't speaking about the Holy Spirit as, a, as if it's him with a different mask. The Holy Spirit is a different person. He's going to the Father who is a different person. And I would love for us to take time to talk about the roles that each of these persons play and and that the way that they interact with one another and interact with us. But I think for right now, we we need to just be able to say, yeah, we see in the Bible that 
These three are distinct persons. But all of that is to be understood under this heading that the Lord our God is one. That's the third thing that we need to understand that the Bible tells us without a doubt that our God is one. We see that in Deuteronomy 6.4. This is like the rallying cry for the nation of Israel. This is the belief that sets them apart from the beliefs of all the nations around them. This is what defines their religion. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We've talked about the fact that in the Old Testament, not all the details are revealed, but I don't want us to confuse that with saying that the Old Testament is wrong, because it's not. It's the exact opposite. In fact, we can't understand the things that the New Testament is telling us about who God is unless we see the foundation that the Old Testament's laying. That foundation is that no matter what else we, we understand, no matter else we, what, what else we read, the Lord our God is one. He always has been and he always will be. Isaiah 45 paints this picture well. In 5 and 6 it says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me there is no God. I equip you though you do not know me. That people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west. That there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is no other. God is emphatic in the Old Testament about saying that he is one. And even when we get more revelation as we go, even, even as, as Scripture, as, as those, those brushstrokes go up on the canvas, right? Even as we start to see more and more of the picture of who God is as we get into the New Testament, that never fades away. That's never forgotten. That's that foundation. And we can see that in passages like uh, the Great Commission, right? If you read in Matthew 28 and 19, uh, Jesus is sending out his disciples to the world to take the message of salvation to the nations, to offer hope to people who had none. It's an incredibly important text. And he's saying, once you go out and, and show people the way to salvation, once you go out and you see people who were conver- converted to this, and once you baptize them, showing them that they belong to this family, What's the formula that you baptize people in? It says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the singular name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That while there are three persons, the Bible is clear that there is one God. None of the three persons are less God than any other. None of the persons are are God with a different mask on. All three are God, all three are one God. I think that's, that's the point that we need to get across here today. If there's been some parts of this that seem like we're bouncing all over the place, I get that. And if there seems some parts where we're trying to flip so much that, that we kind of lose our place, that's okay. But we need to see that these three things, that all three are God, that all three are distinct, but that there is one God. That's what we need to walk away with here, uh, here from uh, knowing. But, but with that being said, I, I hope this hasn't come across as a lecture. That's, that's not the point. I, I hope you didn't feel like you came in here and, and got like some like talk that was not really relevant to your lives. Because while the word Trinity sounds big and intimidating and, and, and sometimes we, we shy away from that, what we're talking about today is, is we're talking about who God is. We're talking about who he has been from eternity and who he always will be. And I, I can't imagine anything being more relevant to our daily lives than, than taking time to understand who God has said he is in his word that he's given for us. This is absolutely foundational 
to our faith, to our belief that, that, that this brings foundation to our lives. We, we've talked about the craziness in the world that's going on around us, and, and we see on the news what, what seems to be like the, the foundations of the world just falling apart, right? That the things that people have built governments on and their lives on and all these kind of things, it just seems to be falling apart, and we see the, this lack of hope that's in the world. But that's not you, You have a foundation in something that's existed forever in a God who's always been the way that he is, who always will be no matter what goes on here. We have our hope in something that will last forever. In a God that is loving within himself, that is three persons in one God, he is the Lord and there is no other. Knowing things like this helps us in our daily prayer life. It helps us as we walk with Christ. As, as I've gone through seminary, I've taken some cool classes and I've read some good books and I've gotten some, some lectures from people who are way smarter than I'll ever be. But I think one of the most helpful things that I've gotten in seminary is just kind of the language to thank God for what he's done for me. To be able to say, Father, thank you for planning this plan of salvation before the world was even established God, thank you for sending your son who died on the cross to cover my sins, to pay for the sin that I did so that once he rose from the grave, I could believe in him and and my sins could be wiped out forever. God, thank you so much for sending your Holy Spirit, which turns my heart, which gives me the ability to believe, which changes my life from here on out so that my eternal life starts now in you so that I have God in me for the rest of my life, making me look more like you. That's the gospel and it's in Trinity. That all three persons have been active, are active now, and always will be in the act of salvation that's in your life. And that matters. I had a friend in college tell me one time, um, as I was going to him, he was really good with computers, and I'm terrible with computers. And so I was letting him kind of work on my laptop, and and it was like undoubtedly super simple stuff. And uh, he kind of looked at me, he's like, you know, it would really benefit you if you just took the time to learn how to use your computer. He's like, you're going to be dealing with these for the rest of your life. And he's probably right, but Christian, you've got a lot of God left in your future. If you're a believer, the rest of your existence is based around that relationship to God. And if if we don't have an idea of, of who he is, especially in the way that Scripture presents him, we're going to have a ceiling that we kind of reach and how well we can know him here. That this is foundational to know that the Jesus Christ that you believe in that saved you is God. To know that the Holy Spirit that works in your life, that, that, that grows you and sanctifies you, that is sealing you, that is God. And that the Father who has planned your salvation from long, long ago is God. I think it's extremely important that we see that. I think it's also important that we see that God is in this way, relational. We see in 1 John 4 that, that it says that God is love. Right? But, but what does, that, what does it, that mean, that God is love? Especially before we existed, right? Before God created us, how is God love? If, if he's not loving us, how is, how is that defined? If we look at John chapter 17, and we see Jesus offering this prayer before he is to go to the cross, he gives us just a little bit of a glimpse of of the relationship between him and the Father, of the love between him and the Father, and how that affects us. John 17, 20 through 23, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me 
through their word that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that we may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, loved them even as you loved me. John is, is kind of showing us in this passage that there's kind of this cascading level of love that, that the Father loves the Son, the Son loves us, and that love between them, Jesus is praying that, that we be one and love one another. So that the Father loves Jesus, Jesus loves us, so we're to love one another. And we're to love one another because we love Jesus and Jesus loves the Father in the Holy Spirit who loves us. And I know there's a lot of movements and that's kind of confusing, but, but here's this idea that, that Christian love has its foundation in the fact that God loves himself not selfishly, but he loves himself in Trinity. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. And they do so in the Holy Spirit. When we talk about needing community in church, when we talk about needing to love our brothers and sisters, when we talk about needing to love our enemy and love, the, you know, when we're talking about all these different things, it's not just love for love's sake. It's not love just to make things smoother. We're really replicating how God loves himself and how he loves us. God is love. So again, as, as we've kind of gone through this, I want us to see that the Bible definitely says that all three persons are God, that all three persons are distinct, but that all are one God, that we believe in three persons and one essence. And that's been the confession of the church for a very, very long time, for ever since we've had God's word to reveal this to us. This isn't God with three different masks. This isn't three different gods. This is the Lord our God who is one. So as we talk about relationship and we talk about love and we talk about who God is and all of that, um, we, we get to express that love for God and, and for one another in, in communion. So if you would go ahead and, and take out uh, the cups. Um, and while we're doing that, I do, I do want to say this, this one disclaimer that before we, we take this, um, if you are here today and, and you don't profess yourself to be a believer, you're, you're not a confessing Christian, we are so glad that you're here today. We love that you're here. We want to talk to you about what we believe, and you're always welcome in here. Uh, with that being said, the Lord's Supper is, is a sacred thing, um, and this is for, for Christians. So, so if you are not a professing believer, we just ask that you not take of this at this time. It's not that we want to make it awkward for you or make you feel like the odd person out. Is that this is sacred to us. So take this time to pray and reflect as we go through this. So with that being said, uh, Jesus tells us that this bread represents his body, which in love and obedience to the Father's plan, he laid down. And when we eat this bread, we remember the sacrifice that he made in love for us and in love to the Father. So let's take this together. Jesus tells us that this cup 
represents his blood in the new covenant. This is the promise by which all of us are brought to new life and brought into this family where we are God's children and are a family with one another. So as we are a family taking this in remembrance of our Savior, let's take it as one family. When we do this, we proclaim his death until he returns. And so we proclaim the greatest act of love that the world has ever seen and the reason that we can love one another. Let's pray. Father God, we, uh, we are blessed to know our God who is three in one. And Father, it, it's confusing at times, and we may not understand all of it, but what we do understand is that your word has told us things about who you are, and that you've given us those things so that we can know you better. Father, I pray that as, as we've kind of spoken about such a delicate subject, I pray that you've made this clear um, through your spirit, and that we see that you are God, that you are one, and that we are all here in love because of what you've done for us. Father, thank you for who you are. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us online. Leeway Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. For more information about us and our ministry, please visit us at www.leewoodbaptist.com.